The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 53 of the Ascent of Board Games. We're still here. It's the day after daylight savings time as we record this, so everybody's a little extra tired and grumpy, so that'll be fun. Expect a full-on Joe ran at any time. <laughs> well, I mean, that's honestly a thing that can happen at any time. And yet, I've somehow managed to get more sleep than normal. Oh, f- mm. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll consider myself bleep, the fact bleep, that you're waking bleep, up at 5 o'clock in the morning tomorrow, so... <laughs> That's true. That's yep. true. Then, uh, Jason, you have an extra excuse. There's apparently a new puppy in the house, so... There sure is, and boy, does he not like sleeping at night. Well, no, why would he do that? There's a lot of things to explore and smell. <laughs> so, we apologize on your behalf. With the puppy's permission, I may put a picture in the show notes, because... That alone will probably represent a 10% <laughs> spike get in listeners. Subscribers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, go for exactly. it. Exactly. Cute His puppy pictures, Cooper. go. All right. <laughs> so we are here today to do a revisit of one of our earlier topics. We are going to talk about one of our favorite types of games, which are paragraph games. We did this originally way back in episode six. And at the time, it was sort of like, well, this was a kind of game that was popular for a while in the 80s and 90s, and now there are occasionally a couple more popping up, so who knows, maybe we'll see some more. And then we put the spreadsheet together for this episode, and oh my god, are there a lot of these style of games out now. But they're really tightly grouped if you look at the years, like I feel Mm -hmm. like they're in a resurgence right now. For sure. Oh yeah, this is like golden age Mm -hmm. of paragraph Mm -hmm. games. In the last couple years, it's kind of been just enormous. Now, part of it is because we are collectively people who are unhealthily obsessed with long-form campaign story games, which often use this kind of paragraph mechanic. But basically, just to recap for those of you who weren't with us back in episode six, these are games where, you know, there are big blocks of text that either are read to you or you read, and then there are choices that are involved. Do you open the door? Do you go down the corridor? Do you ambush the patrol of merchants? Or do you talk to them and trade? That kind of thing. It's a pretty broad category, but it's one of those things where we kind of know it when we see it. And like I said, there's a lot of it going on now. I think the big thing is, is a lot like looking through this list, a lot of the games that we're going to be talking about today use it as a transitional between play sessions. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have any that are strictly, you read this paragraph, choose your own adventure games. Right. Like we did in our previous episode. Mm Mm-hmm. These are all, as is so often the case in the board game industry, things that combine this mechanic with a bunch of other stuff. There are a number where there's a boss battle or a combat scene where in between scenarios, you do a bunch of stuff that involves making different decisions, branching narratives. It's something we're seeing a lot of, and I'm okay with that. We finished the last episode in 2019, and so a lot of stuff has happened since then. And I think Mike is going to kick us off with one that we all quite liked. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's uh, Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated, which is a 2019 release by Direwolf Games and made by Andy Cloudus and Paul Denon. I'm sorry. It's okay. I don't like Clank, and I don't like Acquisitions Incorporated, but you know what I do like? The two combined. Clank was always this weird kind of 
press your luck, like, it hinged a little bit too much on luck for me. Because you'd go down into the dungeon, try to get your treasure, and try to get out. And what other player did greatly affects your own play. And that is not changed in here, but by adding that legacy component and having it drawn out of like, hey, this is just the first game of many in a arcing storyline where decisions are made, made it a lot more tolerable for me. Mm-hmm. And I just have never gotten into Acquisition Zinc. I mean, they're very funny. They have a lot of very good players, but it's a very distinct style. And yeah, it's not something I've watched a lot. I know there are some big fans. It's just not my cup of. But yeah, the game was good. You certainly have to be in a certain mindset for it. It's very lighthearted slash wacky in many ways. And it does still have some of the same pressure luck problems as Clank in general did. I remember there were a couple times when, you know, somebody went one turn too far and then everything was horrible and they lost immediately just because things can turn on a dime in that game. I mean, it's interesting because how deep you can go is very much dependent on how deep everyone is planning on going. Because once one person finishes, if you're in a bad position at that point, you can just be done now. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see it a couple turns ahead. Yeah. But it was definitely a fun campaign. I don't know how much of the storyline really branches. I know there were a lot of places in there. It's like, well, do you give the super powerful sword to person A or person B and that kind of thing? I don't really know how different it was. You've played through a second campaign of this, haven't you, Mike? I did, and... The big story beats are still there. Mm -hmm. The second time I played through it, there were a couple things that we got to much later than the first time we played through it, which did change the scoring outcome of the game. But yeah, for the most part, the story still ends up in the same place. Okay. Again, it's very story light. This is a game that, like you said, I would say go into just as a experience more than a I'm going to win this campaign. Mm-hmm. Because if you play it that way, you're going to be sorely upset. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, we played it competitively, but I crushed my two opponents. <laughs> oh, Frank. That's almost a given. I'm pretty good at Clank. And yeah, I disagree that Clank's a ton of luck. I usually win at Clank. I'm good at balancing pressure luck and calculating odds and things. The one thing that this does is having all the legacy stuff there does give you a lot more options. Basically, it adds quests to the entire structure of the game. Mm -hmm. And there's often two or three quests to go for in an individual, which gives you, instead of just having to go for the same treasures or the same particular locations every time, it's often more rewarding to go for a quest from a game standpoint, aside from the fact that you get to open up new stuff. And often, I think the reward of the game is that opening up new stuff from the legacy, which makes it a lot more palatable. Yeah, there were a couple of times I remember where it was like, I'm not going to try to win this game, I'm going to try to open up stuff. Oh yeah. And that that is always a problem with legacy games, is like, The exciting thing is opening up boxes, but that does not always result in winning game. And like in Clank, it does. It does matches pretty well. Yeah, I'd say sometimes. True, you're right. Sometimes it does. I think for the most part, it does. Right. There are a couple that don't, which never felt great for anybody who did that thing yeah true because a lot of times it really was like all right there's a new thing that we need to unlock that's way down in the far end of the map and basically somebody's going to have to commit to doing that if we're going to get it done 
And usually if somebody doesn't do it, there's a negative result for the game as a whole. So it's like somebody's got to jump on that grenade and do it. And usually there's a good reward for it, but again, not always. Right. And because of the press your luck mechanic, if you have committed your whole game to going all the way down to the farthest thing that you need to get in order to not make everybody's game terrible, and then that reward doesn't pay off, it never really felt great. Because there are a couple times where I did that and still ended up with a score of zero. And it wow. was like, well, that was just my entire game right there. I yep. didn't do anything wrong. I committed all my resources to getting that thing. But because of certain things I had no control over, I still ended up getting shafted on the end game. I would argue that Clank is ultimately a game of sub-optimization. I think at least some of that came from, hey, I'm going to go do this thing and also this other cool thing on the way. And because it's ultimately a game of sub-optimization, doing both caused you to get no points. I think that's the piece of the game that is maybe hard to see from the outside. and. I agree with Frank that, like, Clank is 100% a learned skill. If you are good at Clank, you can for sure win. But you have to kind of be able to read your other opponents to figure out how deep they're going to go, because that plays a lot into what's reasonable. And it's a game of sub-optimization. So if you're trying to do one thing, you just got to go do that thing hard. And doing anything else, taking even a single action outside of that path, can be very punishing. Right, and that ultimately is my point, where, like, yeah, that I would say is not my favorite part of this game, because basically, hey, if that's going to be my thing that I'm going to go get done, and either I do a single play wrong, or, and what makes it even worse that happened to us a couple times, somebody else did it just a turn faster than me, mm. never feels good. Yeah, and if you're both going for the same thing, there is a fair amount of luck because it's really about the cards that come up in your specific hand. Mm -hmm. Someone could happen to be slightly faster. One thing I did want to mention, kind of switching the topic slightly, being a big fan personally of Acquisition Incorporated and the, their specific style of comedy, Clank Legacy X Incorporated does an excellent job of incorporating their specific style of comedy. They're kind of tongue-in-cheek, business-worldy speak, but kind of not in the world of D&D. I think it does a very good job of kind of representing that as a fan of Acquisition Incorporated. Yeah, it definitely feels like they were. I don't know how involved they were in the game design process, but certainly the world building feels very true to what they've done. Yep. Yeah, totally. All right. Despite the problems we've spent some time discussing, we, we had a good time with that one. I think we'd all still recommend it. Final thoughts. It's like, yeah, it's a fun, quick game, but it, it can be a little bit like ripping off a Band-Aid, where even the worst parts of it just aren't going to last very long <laughs> because it's too light of a game for that. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so that was Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. All right, well, I'm taking over from here. So this one actually caught me by surprise. It's not one I was aware of. I got it as a gift and finally got a chance to play it. It's Spire's End from 2019, designed by Greg Favreau from Favreau Ventures. So Spire's End is a one-to-two-player cooperative game, I guess you'd say. The idea is it's a deck of giant tarot cards with gorgeous art that's very reminiscent of like 70s D&D art. It kind of reminded me of uh, Escape the Dark Sector mm. that I played with uh, Mike and Joe recently. And the idea here is you are a villager in this, I think it's like a Viking village, and this giant spire erupts from the ground and when you come to, everyone in the town is gone. You are the only person around and you decide to go investigate the spire with two of your companions. 
And so as you play through the game, you're flipping over cards and you're making decisions. Do I want to go this way or this way? How do I want to deal with this monster I, I'm seeing ahead? Do I want to try and sneak up on him and attack him in the darkness? Do I want to attack him directly? Do I want to talk to him? And that will tell you to go to a different card to see the results of that. Frequently, these decisions lead to combat, which is resolved by a kind of interesting system. So you have two companions with you at all times. If a companion dies, you replace them with another one. You have a total of, I think it's seven companions. Each of the companions have various stats in hit points, in armor, and different attacks and special abilities. So when you start your turn, you'll pick one of your companions to activate, and you will spend hit points to activate a different attack line on your character's card. The more hit points you spend, the more powerful the attack, the more likely it is to trigger special abilities. And all these are resolved by dice rolls, so you can imagine how good I am at this game. (laughs) So, like, for example, if I spent... The characters seem to start with around four or five hit points. I could spend three of those hit points, and I could do a pretty decent attack that has a range of, like, if you hit them at three to four, you do one point of damage. You roll a five to six, you do two points of damage. And if you roll, like, a, a seven or an eight, you do two points of damage and a special ability triggers. So once you've done that and assigned the damage to the enemy you're attacking, then you do a recover phase, where again you roll a die, and based on your character, you might recover one hit point, two hit points, or trigger a special ability. So there's this constant risk-taking where you're like, okay, I really need to do some damage to this thing, but I'm pretty beat up, so maybe I'm only going to spend like two hit points, or maybe I don't spend any at all, right? There are some really weak attacks that are unlikely to hit, but they don't cost you any hit points. And then once you resolve that first character, then you resolve a second character, and then the monster goes. And the monsters have similar attack lines, but theirs is all based off of flipping over action cards. And it will be like, you'll flip it over and it'll say at number five. So you go to the fifth action line on that monster's card, and it's going to obliterate you with some awful thing that gives you a status effect. And then it rolls a recovery. You're like, oh my god, they heal too? Shit. So it's constantly like this back and forth, and there's always interesting decisions to be made. When you defeat the monster, a lot of times you're given a piece of gear or like a, you know, a reward. Like a lot of times in this game, you're finding keys and you'll slide those underneath the character card. And as you play through the game, you'll find doors. And so for each key that you have, you get to roll one of these dice that come with the game. I think there's a total of four of them. You're rolling these dice and they just have these really weird symbols on them. If any of the dice symbols match the door, you can unlock that door. If not, okay, you can't open that door, so you have to go a different way. So the game is hyper-lethal <laughs> choose-your-own-adventure because, for example, I was doing actually surprisingly well. Like, it was actually cooperating with me. I made it through, like, the third chapter. I hadn't lost a companion yet. And I go into this hallway, and all of a sudden I start hallucinating. And it's like, you have three choices. You can stagger forward and hope for the best. You can sit here and try to collect your wits. Or you can rest here and try and think your way out of, like, how can I resolve what's a hallucination and what's real? I'm like, well, that seems like the most prudent course. So I took that... Into death. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> no, let's no rolls, stay no nothing. in the hallucinatory <laughs> gas cloud. <laughs> You're just dead. I'm like, oh, that was a bad decision. <laughs> All right, then. Wow. So, like, there's, like, ten different endings, and, like, I think two of them are considered good. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to discovering all the horrible ways I can die in this game. I was absolutely delighted by it. The mechanics are solid. The art's really engaging. There's fun choices to be made. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of replayability. I liked it so much I went and bought the sequel game. Spires and Hildegard, which I honestly know nothing about. I was just like, hey, same people, same system, we're going for it. And then I think they just announced they're doing one called Cannibal Island, which that's that sounds, sounds good. Yes. 
I think you're going to get a point out of this for me because well, this looks yeah. really nice. <laughs> I was just about to say that, Brian, because uh, yeah, it's real yeah, pretty. You just got a point from me. <laughs> wow! Holy crap, Joe! Joe? Full house. <laughs> Why would I buy it if Brian <laughs> and Mike are buying it? Uh, uh, Joe denying Jason. That's all right. I'll take three points. <laughs> I can't imagine the game that would cause a full sweep. Because that's the problem. It's like, if two other people in this call buy it, why would I buy it? Like, what Like what reason do I Who have am I going to person? play it with that are not you people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, that's fair. But yeah, it looks really fun. The art is very pretty. The art is gorgeous. Like, looking at the art, I'm like, Sam, this art is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. It almost seems, with the deck thing, like the Escape the Dark Castle games or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it looks yeah, like yeah. it has a little bit more coherent story to it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing I think I'm really interested in, especially with this game, is because as much as I like the Escape the Dark Sector and Dark Castle games, they are ultimately light and fluffy. Mm. In a very dark and in a horrible and bloody way. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, just just the <laughs> in terms the of game darkest play. little <laughs> darkest little piece of fluff that you've got. Nice. Mechanically, they are sure. very light. Sure. Thematically, yeah, yeah. they are as rich and as dark as darkest dungeon. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was really pleased with this one. I actually had a problem with my set that I contacted the company with, and they immediately resolved it and sent me out the replacement card. Very very responsive. I have no complaints there. Like, I was genuinely impressed. That's great. Yeah. It looks like it's just available directly from them, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that's where I yeah. found it. I think it might have been a Kickstarter or something that to begin with. Be. I'm not really sure, but I think everything's available now on the shop. Looks like it. Spire's in, too? I thought they didn't reprint. Well, it in. says they have limited inventory. Oh. So I'm going to buy it before you guys get them all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Winner. I'm not sure who gave you that gift, but they are clever people and should be rewarded. Shout out to Brad. All right. It's an excellent gift. It's rare to find a game that I loved so much that I had literally never even heard of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's impressive. Good job, Brad. <laughs> All right. And that was Spire's End. Now, let's go big and epic. There we go. Sure. So, so we talked about Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, which came out in 2019. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Made by Christoph. Perotsky and Marcin Sorkot by Awaken Realms. We're sorry. Nope, not even, not even a little <laughs> bit. Not even a little bit. We've talked a little bit about Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon before, and we're going to kind of group all of Awaken Realms games into this slot. They have also ISS Vanguard and Aetherfields. Am I forgetting one? I feel like I'm forgetting one. I'm sure there's more coming. I'm sure there's more coming. Dragon's Eclipse, I think, is another one of their newer oh, ones. Oh, is that the new one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they did Lords of Hellas, but that's a totally different type of game. Yeah. Yeah. At a high level, I would describe these games as, at their depth, someone made a paragraph game and then said, you know what board gamers like? Mechanics. And so they just like started shoving in mechanics to the box without a great deal of concern about how the mechanics worked with the paragraph game or how the mechanics worked with each other. That's all of Awaken Realms games, in my opinion. Across the board, every story I've seen of theirs is great, right? They have excellent storytellers. But I kind of get the feeling the designers from Awaken Realms have never met a game mechanic they didn't like. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's such a cool mechanic. What if we include that in our game? Oh, that's a cool mechanic. What if we include that in our game? 
And that's kind of where you land, which is there's a great story, but you have to kind of muddle through the various mechanics. For me, right, the classic example is in Tainted Grail, The Men Hears, which in base design, you have to relight The Men Hears every couple of turns. And it's fewer turns the more players you have, because logically, you're all gathering resources. But what that kind of implies is that everyone is kind of doing the optimal thing all the time. And it a thing that I've seen the systems that they tend to include do is they award perfect play and deeply punish imperfect play. Because, <laughs> you know, when you play a multiplayer game like that, it's a little bit like jazz, which is everybody can kind of be doing their own thing or not. And if everyone's doing their own thing in an Awakened Realms game, you're just going to lose or get into a bad fail state, because ultimately the game kind of expects you to all be working towards the one specific goal you need to be working towards right now. And since these are also paragraph games, and exploring and reading new paragraphs is fun, the fun of the game is the exploration, but the way you don't die is the... Resource grinding. (laughs) The tedious mechanic. Do our specific grind that you have to do. Like, when we played Tainted Grail, after a bunch of research on the Geek and elsewhere, we decided, hey, we're going to make it so that we don't have to relight men here's with resources, just with an action. And even that was almost too much. The Awakening Realm games are very big and very deep. They are. I think if if we were just playing Tainted Grail or just playing Aetherfields, I think they would be great. But we've got so many other games that we want to get into, and it's just, it is always so much work to get through the story. ISS Vanguard, I've played a little bit of that one, that's their space exploration game, and it looks like there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in there, but it just takes so long to get through any one thing that, to use Joe's favorite expression, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. I think the thing that's interesting, or ends up being interesting, and I recognize this as well, like... I live a very specific lifestyle, Mm -hmm. right? And if I was in high school and this was the game I got for Christmas, I would be extremely happy with these games. Much like the same with like Kingdom Death, the same with like a lot of these big production games where they throw everything in the kitchen sink in. Mm -hmm. There is a specific audience that's like, hey, if this is my only gaming experience this year, I would be extremely happy with a lot of these games being like the experience that I have this year. It'll keep you going for a year for sure. Yes. But I certainly have the time is a big factor, right? Having a job and all that other kind of stuff, right? Like I'm not in high school where, where I have whole summers and all that kind of stuff. And so there's just a different calculus about what my free time is worth in terms of games. And I think sometimes Awakened Realms just happens to fall on the side of, even though you like the story and want to play the game, some of the pieces of the mechanic kind of lead to unfavorable experiences in terms of like the game being slightly disrespectful of my human time. And like, as there are more and more games to play, a game being disrespectful of my human time to me is a huge negative. Yeah. Yeah. In all their games, there's a mechanic that definitely pads the game. In Aetherfields, that's lighting them in here. It really doesn't or a add a sorry, Tainted Grail. Yeah, it really doesn't add a ton to the game. Aetherfield has these wandering monster random encounters that are a pain. 
<laughs> Frank, I almost had like a heart attack that there might be men here's and ether fields. Like, no! <laughs> there are the equivalent of men here's and ether fields, <laughs> but they're just these random encounters. They've added in the new expansions a light playlist that you skip them. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, they do love updating their games. Yeah. And I think, like, when you think about Tainted Grail, like, you think about the men here as a concept. Like, the concept is supposed to be they are the only safe places in the realm is places that are around the men here. But then you, like, light a men here with a new place, and there are people there. So, like, even in the game's lore, the men here's don't quite make sense. Because it's like, but there are already people there, so what do you mean that, like, the only safe place to go are inside the men here's light. That doesn't actually like make sense with the lore you're presenting, right? Yeah. So I think that's a place where they struggle a little bit just because it doesn't quite hit on all levels, right? Mm-hmm. They definitely like picked a thing to pad the game and then we're like, eh, we'll kind of roughly include it in the lore, but it like the implications of it don't quite work. Um, I'm not sure if maybe they've gotten better in extra games, but like in Tainted Grail, it feels real weird to light a men here, die if you go outside the men here's light, but then also find people living outside the men here's light. Like what, what does that even mean? Yeah, I would say that from what I've seen, I haven't played a lot of ISS Vanguard, but from what I've seen, it doesn't seem to be as grindy. There's not like that constant quest of we have to periodically do XYZ in order to keep the ship flying. But each planet that you're exploring is going to be a couple hours to get through that story. And there's a lot of planets. My problem is I want to know all the stories. I want to hear everything that you're telling me. I just don't have that kind of time in my life. Yeah. To go through that much game for the story, the game has to be really super tight and solid. And they're just not quite at that level for me. And especially because in the first campaign, the one that we were playing through, Mm -hmm. one of the very first decisions that you make through gameplay is, do you go this way or that way? And from what I can tell, those are two completely different campaigns. Mm -hmm. Because like we went to the north, and we just never saw anything to the west. (laughs) So... We went to the West. And from what I can tell, the branches kind of, there is a lot of branching in the story overall, but they kind of lead in the same way and and reconverge later on. Okay. And then break off in other places and then reconverge. Often a couple chapters later, though. That's some pretty deep winding in all those chapters. I'm super glad that it supports replayability. I physically cannot imagine replaying that campaign again, maybe in 10 years. There's something about replayability of a hundred hour campaign just (laughs) kind of loses its Really, guys? Really? (laughs) I mean, again, I think it's just targeting a different audience than us. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. It just a hundred percent is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, you have to remember all of these were Kickstarters, right? So Kickstarter gets by on beautiful minis. Beautiful art, really long campaigns. It's like what people always look for. And like they don't think about, hey, what does a 200-hour campaign really mean for me in my life? <laughs> you're like, oh, that means I'll never finish it. That's what that means. Yep. So that was Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, and by extension, most of what Awakened Realms produces. We like it. We hope you guys enjoy it. It is too much. So, Frank, I'm really curious about this next entry from you here. Yeah. Cosmos has an adventure game series. And these are kind of packaged in the same boxes as their Exit Escape series. Mm-hmm. These are, in fact, they're like six games. 
by Matthew Dunstan, Phil Walker Harding. The Dungeon was the first one. The Volcanoes later takes place on an island. Then there's Monochrome Inc. to get your cyberpunk on. There's a Crimes in Gloom City. They all have a similar structure. A big old paragraph book, yay. And item cards, as well as sometimes standees to represent your characters. And sometimes characters have kind of different views when they hit a paragraph. And there are some large, oversized ultra tarot cards that represent rooms. And you're often looking around a room going to a paragraph. They're kind of intended to replicate 80s classic adventure games. And they're pretty cheap, about 20 bucks each list. And you get generally three acts broken down into a couple hours per act. Eh, three or four hours play by anyone real. But they're obviously paragraph games. The thing that's pretty amazing is, you know, the variety, the writing solid. There's occasionally light puzzles, but a lot of it's more about the classic adventure game tropes of taking an item to the right person or choosing which direction you want things to go. It's not the most branching narrative because it's more, there is some escape roomy kind of adventure game linearity to it. But it definitely has both an old school adventure game feel as well as, you know, that paragraph feel. Especially when you get to some of them, I think even the first one, Dungeon, there are spots where different characters have different capabilities and they'll see and they'll basically look at something different and get a different clue about something, which leads to some kind of different twists on which items and how things play out, which is actually pretty clever in the way it's handled. The thing that annoys me greatly about this is when I was looking at, oh yeah, the adventure games, they did the latest one is German only. It's almost surely going to be German only. And it's in their long running series of games for De Dry. De Dry, in case you haven't heard of it, is based on a set of children's books from the 60s and 70s called The Three Investigators in so English. Good. I know. And <laughs> they're better than better yeah, than Hardy like Boys, Nancy Drew. I was like a Jupiter Jones, although it's, I think, Justin Jonas mm-hmm. in the German version. Mm-hmm. There are movies. There are you know, a number of games with various mystery things in German. For De Dry, you can see like a ton oh. of things. They're like a massive phenomenon still in Germany. Wow. And in the U.S., we get nothing. No one's heard of these, as you can tell. Yeah, I'm sure y'all have heard of like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, right? Mm-hmm. They got a series in the set. Uh, no, no, no one's. Uh, it's the worst. Those were the books of my childhood. Yeah, totally. I read great. my way through all of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm particularly annoyed that none of that shows up. That's how I learned Cockney slang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how How is that so big in Germany? I don't, I know. I don't even <laughs> get it. And there are so many games for to try. I keep looking at it. I might even have one just that showed up in a box or something. But yeah. And it took me a while to figure out because I would see all these games that would say to dry question mark. Mm-hmm. And then one day I looked into it. It's like, no, no you're kidding. <laughs> How very dare you. <laughs> and then go off and look at the dry movies. And there's like most of the books have been done into movies in German. Uh. I think we got one in English, which was a different production. Yeah. But yeah, it's a huge phenomenon in Germany. It's not fair. No. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> but the games are good. It's what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, yeah, the games. Oh, what yeah. are we talking about? <laughs> games? Yeah. I don't think this is a games rant. 
The Cosmos Adventure games are wonderful. Okay. And if we don't get the try, I'm going to hunt somebody <laughs> Cosmos down and just explain to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Were you aware that there are, in fact, four choose-your-own-adventure-style game books featuring the three investigators? Yeah. Okay. Are they in German? No, no. These are the four <laughs> no, in English. In English. <laughs> they were probably with okay. okay. I wanted to make sure because I didn't know about that and I didn't want you to miss that opportunity. Yeah, I didn't get any of those, uh. but yeah. <laughs> I want the board games. I know, I know. We want it all. I want the movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, Cosmos is such a weird board gaming company because like every game I have played by them, I've really ended up enjoying but, oh, like, they're a great game company. They just have no advertisement. I've never heard of any of their games. Most of their games are produced for the German market. They are extremely focused on the German market. And, and the good a lot ones, of licenses. Yeah, and the good ones tend to come over in English, which is when we eventually discover but them. To make it even more interesting, as a teacher, there are lots of engaging tools that I use in my elementary school classroom. And then I look at it and guess who makes it? Cosmos. Cosmos. And it's Cosmos the same company. A, <laughs> Cosmos is originally a long-standing STEM edgy science. Yeah, they're like the learning company. They basically didn't do games for a long time. And they merged a company called Franck, F-R-A-N-C-K, in order to get settlers. And then they really kept that going by producing game lines. There are many, many excellent Cosmos-only games that only came out in Germany. I do pick up German copies of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Stuff that, oh, so good. I mean, there's a Star Wars Attack of the Clones game that is great. And it never saw a light here. Hmm. License, too. And, of course, you know, I mean, we got Settlers, but from different companies. And let's see. Oh, The Godfather is such a good game. That was by Michael. Pretty good movie, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making a pistol machine. (laughs) Ooh, nice. (laughs) All right, so... But yeah, we need to buy more Cosmos games. You can get them off Amazon.de and get them shipped pretty cheaply. One of these days, I'm going to return to Essen and probably come back with a haul. Yeah, true. (laughs) The wish list from Frank alone will fill an entire suitcase. You know, Frank's (laughs) going to have to come with me just to carry the shit. Yeah, really. Yeah. Right, so that was the Cosmos Adventure Game Series. But we're not done with you yet, Frank. Oh, oh no. we're not done with me for a lot. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I kickstarted, because, you know, that's a thing that we won't talk about, is Hotel Lovecraft. It's done by Oliver McNeil, 2020. He does a lot of very social game book kind of games. Hotel Lovecraft is a slightly different take on his games. He also does audio. He runs kind of a storytelling mini escape adventure company in Britain where he puts on these for a live like audience or for a tiny live audience playing. Hotel Lovecraft is one of his. It's got a deck of cards, some dice and everything. And basically you lay out a number of rooms, usually about two thirds of each floor of Hotel Lovecraft. And you have um, stats and you're trying not to lose your sanity or your health. So you've got basically kind of two old fighting fantasy kind of stats. And you open a room, narrator reads a card, you pick something, which will either, sometimes it gives you an object, or sometimes it, well, you lose health or sanity, and the object's to make it through the hotel. So it's a bit of a, kind of that escape the dark castle thing. Okay. It's a kind of dark, gritty-themed, very Lovecraftian game, which is nice. 
Well, it's called Hotel Lovecraft. It should be Lovecraft. Oh, totally. <laughs> and definitely a group experience. And definitely more of an experience. I mean, it's just, you know, read the creepy stories. He does provide audio for all the narration, if you want to go that way. Yeah, it's cute. That was Hotel Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. So, we were just talking about Cosmos. Let's talk about another one of their games. Huh. In 2021, they came out with The Adventures of Robin Hood, and this is by Michael Menzel, who I really like as a game designer and artist oh, yeah. from the Andor series. Mm-hmm. The other Andor series. Yes, the other <laughs> Andor series. <laughs> The one that nobody played because it was a puzzle game. Uh, yeah, I see. You say nobody played it. I think it did fairly well. It did. Yeah. It got three expansions, and I own them all, and will someday sit down and play through them, probably on my own, because having played through them a little bit, they're definitely just a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. But I feel like The Adventures of Robin Hood is what I actually wanted the Andor games to be. In this game, you play as the main characters from the stories of Robin Hood. You've got Robin Hood, Little John, Maid Marian, and the other guy. Will Scarlet. (laughs) Scarlet something. (laughs) And you are basically playing through a rendition of Robin Hood. All of the tropes are there. The major story beats are there. It is, story-wise, not breaking any boundaries, except for the way that they arrange their paragraph. The leather-bound book that it comes with is just a masterclass in how to organize a paragraph game. All of your mission synopses are in the front, and then it has story references in the back. You move your characters on the board using actual wooden pieces, and just if your wooden piece can stretch there, you can move there. There's a little bit of fiddliness with like, you can't move through buildings that are printed on the board. So the actual picture of the board is the actual move space. And there were probably a few times where we were like, eh, that's close enough. <laughs> but for the most part, it was just a fantastic little game. Yeah. Back to the book real quick, because one of the things that I really liked, it comes with two different colored ribbons inside the book. There's a red one and a gold one, and I can't remember which one's which, but one of them is like, hey, you place the ribbon here as a reminder of looking up this rule or this thing that you're trying to do. And the other one is like, uh, here's where your current progress is in the game, I think, is the other one. was yeah. Or where you go back to after you read this thing, yeah. I think all of us have experienced reading a paragraph game, and you're like, oh, I accidentally looked at the wrong passage number. Let me look back at what I was, uh-oh, oh no. How do I get back to that? <laughs> oh no. Someone please tell me remember where we went before. Uh, let's start this turn all over again and yep. try to retrace our steps. Yep. Yeah, it was a nice way of addressing that, and I, I very much appreciated it. The other interesting part is they have two playthroughs through the game. And, like, having looked at it, we played through the first one, and they would propose a problem to you, like, you need to ask around town about where the sheriff is. And it's like, in the first playthrough, you would go and talk to the maiden in the woods, and she wouldn't know anything. But then if you were on your second playthrough, she might have the information that you need. And so they can kind of mix up the outcomes. The minor story beats. So yeah. that you could play through it a second time and still be surprised without them having to totally just write a different story, which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, And it does seem like they can also tailor the difficulty a little bit that way, because the second campaign almost feels like a New Game Plus or a second quest in a Zelda game. Where it's like, all the story beats are there, it's just different. 
things are different places, the items have been mixed up, that sort of thing. I like it. You, you actually left off the best part of the game is the board uh, and yeah. the, the advent calendar flipped with things. <laughs> yes, like... So the board is drawn by Michael Menzel. Like he has done the artwork for his games. And I really like his art style. Like it just hits that kind of fantasy art that I just am like, I'm there for it. Mm -hmm. And the board, it's quite literal. Like if there is a guard there, you can go and interact with it. And then after you kill the guard, you flip over the piece and it's just the same space, but no guard. And it's just, it's wonderful. Uh, and the entire board is covered with those. Does it come with a royal plunger like Queensdale? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually one of the biggest problems with the game is that, like, because it's a cardboard board, by the end of our first playthrough, it was pretty well loved. <laughs> I would imagine yeah. by the end of the second playthrough, it would be like, cool, you've got your playthroughs out of this cardboard thing. <laughs> Can Don't I get a replacement board? <laughs> yeah. The advent counter thing is so enticing, right, for sure, right? There's, like, just... Tons of little boxes, and who knows what's behind them, and the way you interact with them is always really clever. So I think the board is an amazing piece of work. And there's definitely stuff that we didn't see in our playthrough on the board, because yeah. Mike was poking around. He's like, wait, we never even flipped this one. How did we get to that thing? <laughs> yeah, it looks like the playthrough, too, at least has some new surprises for you in that regard as well. Yeah, and there is a flowchart of the scenarios in the front of the book. So there is a single branching point that will reconverge at the end. So we did not see, I think, two or three of these scenarios, which the whole experience was maybe 30 to 50 hours. No. I mean, yeah, 50 hours would be on the high end, but like it was not a long campaign. So replaying it feels feasible. Yeah. I mean, it was seven episodes, an hour and a half each. Yeah. So maybe so even we're talking, 10 hours. Yeah. It was 12, maybe at most. It was short. It felt like a nice, yeah. Yeah. We did ours in. Seven plays. Yep. Yeah. I just looked at when I logged all these. Yeah. It was seven plays. Like, it was a real easy, breezy, fun experience. I yeah. quite enjoyed it. Yeah. And right now, I don't know if you guys have looked at it, like, it is almost criminally underpriced right now. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it seriously about. is. <laughs> and they're coming out with an expansion for it. Of course they are. So, go buy this game. It's great. It's a great game. We played it at three. It played great. I think it played great at four, great at two. All right. I think this is also a good one for if you've got younger kids playing because like it's the story of Robin Hood there's nothing extremely graphic about it i think this could very easily be like a 10 to 12 year old kids introduction to adventure games most of the game components that you interact with a lot are big wood chunky components very easy to interact with so yeah no cards and no text apart from the book which yeah, is that's interesting true. nice and you have to very specifically throw the cubes in the bag. You can't just drop oh, them. Yeah. You have to throw them. Throw them. Throw so. them into the bag. <laughs> the bag is also a really interesting because like, I think possibly one of my other favorite things is when you're done playing the game, you just put all the components into the bag, slide the board back into its little sheath, and then yeah, you're, you're done. done. Nice. When you want to play the next time, you just pour all the components out of the bag, set it up, and you're good to go. Yeah, sounds like a winner. Yep. So that was The Adventures of Robin Hood. All right, well, let's keep the co-op train rolling here. 2021 Solomon Kane by Mythic Games, designed by Jake Thornton. The next one I wanted to cover. I will say, Jake Thornton is an old-school Games Workshop designer. Oh, He did some that. impressive games. That's what drew me to it. So, yeah, yeah keep going. 
Well, for me, this is after my obsession with Conan the Barbarian, right? So after the Conan game came out, Mythic announced they were doing another Robert E. Howard book for Solomon Kane, and I was like, I don't even know who that is. So I immediately got all the books, read through all of them. Long story short, Solomon Kane is like an English Puritan who goes and fights evil and sorcery and you know witches and stuff like that. Think of him as like an Imperial Inquisitor from Warhammer 40k. Only yeah, with God. Sort of, <laughs> yes, only with God, yes. <laughs> Instead of the God Emperor. He has that same sort of like unrelenting harshness and like unyieldingness, I guess is the way to put it. Like he's always constantly on the path of hunting something down. And, you know, like most Robert E. Howard books, there's some uh, questionable <laughs> characterizations of people of African descent, but we'll just talk about that for now. Yeah. Hopefully that didn't make it into the game. <laughs> no, I uh, do go to Africa, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I haven't played that one. But the idea here is you are actually playing the game as the four cardinal virtues. You're not actually playing as Solomon Cain. You're helping guide him on his whatever his current quest is. And you're playing through all of the stories of Solomon Cain. Like, there's not that many of them. And then they created a couple that are kind of, I'd say, reasonable extrapolations of things he might have been doing around the same time. So the players play as courage, prudence, temperance, and justice. And each of these different virtues has a different dashboard that they will be assigning dice to that they're rolling to do different things. And each of the virtues have different specialties. Like, one of them's better at getting people to talk to Solomon Cain. One of them's better at helping Solomon Cain fight things. One of them's better at generating um, this resource called light that can help make the scenario easier for Solomon to accomplish his goal. So it's kind of an interesting twist on a cooperative game. Instead of being the hero himself, you're just the virtues that are helping guide him on his quest. And if you collect enough of the correct icons from the dice, you can even manifest each of these virtues on the board themselves, and they are very, very powerful and effective if you manage to do that. Which is weird, because the actual encounter includes both physical things going on. Meanwhile, there are spirits interacting with the world. They can attack Solomon Kane or the other characters, but generally he can't attack back, but the virtues can interact with them and take them out, which is bizarre. I'm sorry, Jason. Did you just describe the characters that you play superpowers? Like, one is super social, and then one has a light? (laughs) Well, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the spirits you're talking about, they're called darkness. Like, they're... Yeah, darkness. Yeah, so, like... I get it thematically. I really like the idea of, like, we are bringing Sir Brian along because of his silvered tongue that can garner the hearts of man in our favor. And we're bringing Sir Jason along, because he's got a torch. These are more (laughs) metaphysical than that, Mike. Look, man, if you're hunting in the dark and you don't have a torch, you're going to have problems. (laughs) Yeah, light is, in this case, the essence of purity and drive that pushes Solomon Cain on. Uh, So, yeah, it's much more abstract then. Yeah. Not just glow light. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like, the gameplay is pretty simple. So, you're essentially on your turn as one of the virtues. You're rolling three dice. And you're either assigning them to your own dashboard to kind of lock them in for trying to activate that specific capability, like moving Solomon or having him fight or do something like that. Or you can actually donate those dice to other virtues. So they're basically putting them on their dashboard. So despite the fact that it's a dice rolling game, which I'm not a huge fan of, there's a lot of mitigation. You can either, I think one of the dice after you roll your three, you can either flip it to the exact opposite side or re-roll it. And then you've got this dice donation thing where other people can help you if you're like, I need to get this last freaking bravery, and I just can't do it. And someone else rolls it, and they're like, I don't need this bravery. Here you go. Mm. That really appealed to me, as you can imagine. 
because uh, ugh, nice. there's just enemies. But sometimes, sometimes there isn't combat in some of these action scenes. It's him talking to people, investigating, intimidating them based on the dice outcomes and who can use it. So often you're going, wow, I think we really need to intimidate this guy. You know, sending a few of your dice that match symbols onto the person who can intimidate them and talk to them. It's weird. And you have to be very cognizant of what each other's powers are, plus any temporary powers they've put up. Because not only do you have three permanent powers on your board, but you have a rotating hand of cards that can bring up powers that you can add on. It's a bizarre, very cooperative and very, although alpha player, susceptible. Like most co-ops, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Because there's just enough things going on. But it's oddly compelling and so different from anything I've ever played. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, this could have been a very, very kind of bland, generic adventure game where you're like, someone plays Holman Kane, someone plays some random companions he has that may yeah. or may not exist in the books. So I like that they took such a weird tact with it. It's yeah. like not like anything I've seen. I mean, Frank, your experience, what's it play like? Is it too brain burnery? Like, do you have to spend a lot no, of No, it's somewhat forgiving. Basically, aside from the action mode, there are certain things where you just have to generate light that are really fast. Those take like five minutes, and you have to generate so much light. Those are a little annoying because usually only a couple of the virtues virtues are good at generating light. So you have to kind of pile on, and that seems almost too easy. But the action scenes are extremely varied, and they're all over the map in what you're called on to do. And then when you get to a fight scene... There's even an added layer onto that where, you know, attacks and what you're attacking with and the style of your attack can change that make combat pretty bizarrely interesting. In the tutorial, there are like three or four action scenes, I think, including some that are completely optional, which you can skip by talking, but there's only one combat that's required Hmm. out of those three or four action scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I will say... um... So this was originally released by Mythic Games, who's having all sorts of problems these days, which kind of seems to be their thing. Fortunately for anyone who might be interested in the game, they are currently selling it on Miniature Market. I think they're selling everything right for now. For nothing, like 80% yeah. off. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really marked down. And then the reason they're doing that, I suspect, is because the IP was sold off to Monolith, mm. the people that came up with the Conan game. And who knows, they might extend this, they might make their own twist on it. I'm not really sure, but I'm very happy it's in their very capable hands because I'm a huge fan of Monolith stuff. So it looks like it may actually have a future. Yeah, also at this time, Fun Again recently is shuttering their mm-hmm. doors and sent all their Mythic stuff to Miniature Market. Ah, uh, that's what happened. So Miniature Market probably got a big, giant pile of this stuff that was unsold. Interesting. So they need to kind of clear some out. Yeah, the art's really nice. The art's nice. The minis, there are a ton of minis. Mm-hmm. They're great. There's big yeah. minis too, right? They're like more 32s, than... I think, yeah. yeah. I think 35s, okay. yeah. Yeah, very cool. And that is Solomon Kane. So next, we're going to talk about a game that Frank introduced me to called Wonderbook. This was a 2021 production from DV Games and was designed by Dario Castaro and Miguel Coimbra. Sure. Got it. Y'all, Wonderbook is an adventure game that plays out using a deck of cards with paragraph scenarios on them. Joe, Jason, and I have played through the first scenario. Each scenario is a deck of cards when you interact with things during the tactics-based gameplay, your decision matrix is on those cards. So it gives you a paragraph, 
gives you a choice, and then you read the outcome on the back of the card or on the next card. It's cute. This one is another one that really I had never heard of, and when Frank described its uh, primary feature, I was like, well, I'm in. <laughs> and then Frank very kindly gave me a copy of the game. Oh, I ended up with extras, so yeah, happened. Wonderbook's big feature is that it is a tactical adventure game that plays out on a 3D pop-up book map and has a lot of just, it takes that and runs with it. It's great. Love it. Frank, you probably have a yeah. little bit more to say about it. <laughs> we have finished it, and I'm trying to dance around that to avoid spoilers. The pictures you'll see of it and in any advertisement is the primary, essentially the second scenario. First scenario plays on the back of the book, and it's, you know, very, okay, that's cute. There's a little bit of pop-up in there, and okay, fine. And then you open up, and there's this giant freaking tree that's over a foot tall standing out of the book raised platforms and other stuff and it's even hard to tell what the hell's going on and there are many more secrets hiding in that book hmm. it is one of the most impressive pop-ups i've ever seen wow. in a lot of ways mike i'm surprised you didn't mention our favorite character that we've discovered so far well the problem is is that that was oh yeah true in an envelope that's a spoiler so fair enough it was a spoiler but uh yeah. I will go ahead and say, chunk. because of the chunk of the spoiler, we did dub it Dump Truck, and the people who know will know. <laughs> I think the way Frank described it when we said we played the first one, he's like, oh, you played the worst one. <laughs> right, like it's The one that doesn't have some of the epicness that the pop-up book has. Yeah. But yeah, it has a branching narrative within each scenario. I mean, the scenarios are linear. You don't play different scenarios or anything. There's some branching and tweaking on who you help. You make allies. There are different creatures inhabiting the world with their own little pop-up tweaks and weirdness. I think the thing that really got me about this game is when I first opened it up and looked at it, there's only 10 miniatures in the box. And so there, there are... are yeah. Well, but, but yeah, right. It's 15 or 16. But yeah. Right. But there's only the four characters and then the one bad guy type. Yeah. And that from just an adventure game, I'm sitting here scratching my head going like, how can they possibly make a good, fun adventure game with only one bad guy mini? Like that seems like not enough. So I'm excited to see what they do with it because I still have that fear a little bit where I'm just like, mm, are we going to get bored of fighting these one bad guys by the end of this? They're kind of a, they feel like a bit of padding. They're pretty easy to take out. There are occasional boss versions of them, mm -hmm. but there are also other bosses and kind of things you can fight that change that up. But they're the minion, and they're always in every scenario. Right. And fighting them gets a little tedious, but they're background. The game is really about exploring. And the first game has some exploration, but the exploration gets much more complex and interesting include some spot and look for things, some minor puzzle things. And in each episode, there's always at least one completely bonkers out of the blue dexterity game <laughs> or dexterity element. And sometimes they're just so freaking awesome and adorable. We were rather surprised the first time we got introduced to the first <laughs> dexterity element. We were like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's going to happen again, and it, every time it's going to be 
really? Oh my <laughs> god, that's awesome. <laughs> Assuming you're the type, we had one guy who's, you know, inner child is dead, so... <laughs> He wasn't getting it. <laughs> so I guess not friend of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no, I do kind of like him. But yeah, I think he even listens to the podcast. Oh, so no. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. And I told him last night that his inner child was dead. So. <laughs> well, as long as he knows. He's kind of accepted it. <laughs> I think mechanically, the first scenario's dexterity challenge, the rules could have been. Was the loosest. A little bit more clear, because we had a result happen, and we're like, well, uh... Make it up, deal with it. It's that. Technically, the letter of the law was met, so that's yes, good yes, enough for us. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this looks like a great, especially kind of family-friendly. Oh, yeah. The, the table presence yeah. on it is amazing. Yeah. Very cool. All the miniatures are chunky. There's not a ton of reading. Mm-hmm. Resolving enemies, there's like... Almost no text on cards, so... Uh, there's actually... on. I'm sorry, on enemy cards? There's a yeah, little you bit. Yeah, the story card, there's quite a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. On enemy cards, there's almost no text. Yeah. It does make me wonder a little bit, like you were talking about with Robin Hood, with a big, complex pop-up thing like this, how many times are you going to be able to fold and unfold that book? Pretty solid. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty well done. We made it through our campaign without any major problems. The central tree doesn't want to stand up perfectly, yeah, and I can't it. see how it does always, but it totally still worked. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Very cool. And I got to admit, when you hit the last particular scenario is a absolute, oh my God moment. <laughs> that is freaking awesome. <laughs> Something to look forward to. I'm fascinated yep, totally. to learn more. Yeah. All right. Also play with four players. <laughs> Yeah, true. We we sometimes played with three and added the fourth character. It's not hard. The characters are easy to deal with. Yeah. All right. Wonder Book. Sounds pretty cool. And if you think that sounds cool, be sure to come back again next month for part two of this episode when we'll talk about a lot of other fascinating new paragraph games, including some ones that really surprised us in several different ways. Until then, stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. I love that you guys thought this was going to be a single episode because we've been talking for an hour now and we're not even halfway through the list.